I would tell you to stand, but I don't know what to tell you to do if you do stand, so we'll just stay seated uh, this morning. And uh, let me say it's good to see you here, good to see you here in God's house. And, you know, we're in times like we've never seen before. And I felt good because I was listening to a, uh, another church of God preacher, probably one of the largest churches in the Church of God, and he said, I don't know what to do. I said, that makes me feel good because a lot of times people say, well, I know what to do. A lot of times we don't know what to do. I was reminded of Jehoshaphat when the enemy was coming against him. He said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's the thing that we've got to do is keep our eyes on Jesus Christ during these times that we're living in. I want to go to God's Word today, probably the only thing that I know right now that I can read and trust is God's Word, okay? The only thing that I know for sure that I can read and I can trust is God's Word in these days we're living in, because I found out no matter where you land on any of these issues that we're facing, you can find somebody with a Ph.D. or whatever that will back up what you believe. You just simply will. And in these days we're living in, there's no doubt in my mind that as children of God, we need to get in the Word of God. Okay? And this, I've never, a lot of times I come to this pulpit and I know exactly what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. But I can't honestly tell you that today. But I, we're going to read some scriptures for sure. And when we leave this place, we'll at least say we heard the word of the Lord. And so I, want to, I just want to start with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord God, for that you are on the throne. God, that when things look impossible to us, God, they are possible to you, Heavenly Father. And God, even though our world at times seems in chaos, God, you're in control, Lord Jesus. And God, I just pray, God, that as we go into your word today, God, that you would help me, Lord, not to say too much. Not to say too little. Lord, close my mouth where it needs to be closed and open it where it needs to be open. And Lord Jesus, when we leave this place, we'll give you the praise and we're in honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody say amen. I want to go to the book of Jude today. The book of Jude and this, this little book of Jude, a little short book. It's tucked in between uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and then John's book of Revelation that he was given. It's kind of interesting how they tucked that in there uh, right between those, those four writings of John, but I believe it's in there for a good reason, tucked in that, in that, in that place. Uh, and so let's read Jude chapter, Jude chapter 1. Of course, there's only one chapter in Jude, so we'll say Jude chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through uh, 4 today. Uh, look what he says here, the Word of God. Jude... A bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called. Now notice, if you're a child of God, you are called. You've got a calling that's on your life. Don't ever think that you're just a nobody in God's kingdom. You have been called, been summoned by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then he says this, Beloved in God the Father. In other words, not only am I called, he would say, we are also loved by God. You are loved by God. Amen? And then he says this, and you are kept by Jesus Christ. Kept for Jesus Christ. Do you realize that we are the Father's gift to the Son? We are kept for Jesus Christ. He is keeping me. 
You understand that? Now, that may be simplistic to you, but I, I refuse to live in a world where I think the devil is sovereign. Okay? I refuse to live in a world where I think the devil can do what he wants to do to me whenever he wants to do. No, I refuse to believe that. And I can back it by scriptures. And so he says, you are called by God, you are loved by God, you are kept by God. And then he says this, verse 2, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Then verse 3, beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. In other words, Jude, when he, when he wrote, when he got his pen out and was going to write this letter, he intended to write about the common salvation that we all share. But the Holy Spirit of God changed his mind, and all of a sudden he said, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Then he says in verse 4, he says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That word just simply means lawlessness. In other words, what we would say is this, there's people that have crept in that have said, you can be a Christian and live any way you want to live. Okay, that's what they're saying. doesn't matter what you do. It just matters as long as you said a prayer, then you're good. But he says there are certain people that have crept in that have turned the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to look at and concentrate on verse 3 here for a second. He tells us, that we should earnestly contend for the faith. Now, what is the faith? In short here, the faith is not the act of believing. Okay, it's not what he's talking about there. But rather, what is believed. In other words, he's not saying defend the faith, the act of believing he is saying that you should defend the faith or contend for the faith what is to be believed. And so what we would say is this, that the faith here refers to the body of doctrine that was given by God through the apostles to the church. And so Jude writes that we have got to take a stand for the faith because the faith is under attack. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, God breathed it out and it's profitable for doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is the instructions and teachings it refers to the body of truth that we believe and practice as part of our Christian faith. See, Jesus said in John 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, I am, not a truth, he said, I am 
the truth, and I am the life. In other words, you cannot have truth apart from Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this right here, we would say, this is the truth. It's the truth. Let's read some scriptures, what the psalmist said about God's words, God's laws. Psalms 111, 7 and 8. He says, the works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. Then he says in verse 8, they are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. Psalms 119, 7 and 9 says this. The law of the Lord is perfect. In other words, it doesn't need to be improved upon. It doesn't need your opinion about it. See, that's the thing about it. When somebody asks me, what is your opinion on this subject? I say, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what God's word says because that's the final say-so of everything. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If you want to be wise, you know what? Even if you're not, uh, even if you're not smart, okay, guess what? This right here will make you wise. Next verse. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, it enlightens the eyes. And he says this, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Psalms 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. And so we see here that the Word of God is forever settled. It does not change. Culture may change. The Constitution may change. But the Word of God, it never changes. I know that when I open this up 20 years from now, it is going to say the same exact thing because it does not change. Now think about this. Jude tells us that this faith, the faith, it was not discovered by some human authority. Okay? He says the faith was handed down. It was delivered unto us. And so it wasn't something that somebody discovered. It wasn't something that somebody got in a cave and stayed for 40 days and all of a sudden they came out and said, oh, this is the word of God. No, what Jude says is this right here, the Bible, the scriptures, he says this was handed down to every single one of us. It was delivered to us. It was entrusted to us by the Holy Spirit, by God. It was entrusted to us. Let me use, let me use this illustration. Suppose your great-grandmother had a fantastic cake recipe, okay? 
and you didn't know how she made it. You just know that it was good every time you ate it, and it tasted the same. And on her dying bed, she told you, I put the instructions for that cake on my nightstand in the drawer. Take it, and you can make that same cake. Now, if you took those instructions and said, you know what? I don't like butter. I think I'll use some fake butter. Or I don't like this. I think I'll substitute this for it. You would not get the same results because why? Because you did not follow the instructions exactly the way they are. Do you want to know why our country is in such a mess that it's in today? It's because we've been given the instructions and we have said, I don't like this, so we'll change it and make it this. Okay? Don't, don't, don't shout me down because I don't want you to spew droplets, but anyway. But we have got to the point where we have tried to change the Word of God, and then we wonder why everything is falling apart. It's because we have tried to change what God has handed down to us, and instead of defending it, we have compromised it. See, Jude says that we have got to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, listen, I understand this. There are certain things, what I would call secondary issues, that we would disagree on. Okay? How do I know that? Well, that's the reason why you've got so many different denominations. Okay? They disagree on certain facets of the Scripture. But there are certain tenets, the primary issues, that you cannot compromise on. You understand that? If God's word says something is a sin, guess what? It is a sin, and you cannot compromise on that issue. See, if you don't understand, I'm sure all of us do this, the gospel, the truth, is under attack. We are at war, and I'm not necessarily talking about the unrest going on in our nation. We, we see that, but I'm talking about a battle that is going on for the faith. See, Jews said there's been people that have crept in unaware and they're perverting the gospel. They're saying, no, you can live like you want to live and they're denying Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we have been given a valuable treasure and not only are we supposed to proclaim this treasure, we also have to protect this treasure. See, because this faith has been handed down to me, I don't have a right to change it. I don't have a right to adjust it. It's amazing when you read Peter's words and you read Paul's last words in 2 Timothy. Their main concern is this, that people will follow them that will not uphold the word of God. That's what their main concern is. That people that follow them will not uphold the word of God. Matter of fact, even Paul writes to Titus in Titus 1 and 9, he says this. He says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. In other words, Titus, don't give an inch as far as the word of God. Hold fast to what you've been told. Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter, two, verse, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, you should retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. Don't let the standard down. Make sure you uphold the standard. 
And everything that we do, everything we believe has got to be based solely on the Word of God, not our opinions, not what someone else says, not what a college professor says, but it's got to be based on the Word of God. You realize sound doctrine will produce sound living? And so Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And if you don't realize that we're living in last days, you've got your head in the sand. See, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter days, some will fall away from the faith, the faith, there it is again, the faith, the gospel, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Then he says in chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Myths. These are ideas that are brought in by so-called Gnostics that have a so-called deeper knowledge than everybody else does. They have a deeper understanding than everybody else does. And you know what? If you don't understand how the enemy is attacking the faith and the church, let me tell you how they're doing it. The first thing they're trying to do is distract us. Okay? We are getting distracted, the church is, by things that have no eternal significance. Okay? We get distracted by pleasure. We'd rather have pleasure than have holiness. Now, the other Sunday when, and I shouldn't tell this, I won't tell anyway. The other Sunday when we didn't have church because it was too bad, I did what normal people do. I went to Lowe's. Don't get mad at me. But I'm just saying a lot of times if we're not careful, we will make time for other things. Come on now. Then we will for the house of God. And if you don't see that in Scripture, then you haven't been reading the Bible. He says people get distracted by offense. We get offended and we, we get offended at everything and that, that gets us distracted. There's also, not on distraction, he brings division. He's bringing division into the body of Christ. 
Okay? There's always been issues since the beginning of the church that has sought to divide the church. Back then it was what you could eat or what you could drink. Could you eat food offered to idols? Could you not eat food offered to idols? Nowadays we're red and blue. Nowadays we're black and white. Nowadays we're mask or no mask. We are divided on issues that we are not going to agree on. These are secondary issues. And what we got to realize is this. We can disagree on some things without being disagreeable. But no matter where we stand on any of these things, we better stand on the Word of God and what God's Word says. And whatever we believe about these things, we should all act in love. Love. We should all act in love toward one another. Then the third thing is not only he distracts us and divides us, but then is deception. Deception. Let me, I, I was reading this this past week, and it, it was kind of shocking to me. I opened my eyes about some things. And this person was talking about the people departing from the faith. And they, talk, they brought this issue about homosexuality, okay? And they brought up a, a book, and it's by Marshall Kirk and Hunter Matson. You can, you can look it up sometime. They wrote this book in the 90s to show you how the church is deceived. And the book was entitled, After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear of and hatred of gays in the 90s. And in this book, and you can apply this to anything that the church is allowing to go on, they said there's three things we're going to do in the 90s for this country. They said the first thing is we're going to desensitize this world through mass propaganda. In other words, we're going to throw it out there so much that people would become desensitized to what they are seeing, okay? In other words, if you were to go back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, some of the stuff you are seeing now, it would turn your stomach because you've never seen it before. But now, you can, even, you can watch something and it doesn't even register because you've seen it so much. In other words... It's like the, it's, it's what they say in the book is this. We may not can stop the shower, we may not can keep them from turning off the shower, but we can keep, we can, what we can do is we can make them get accumulated to being wet. Okay? And so they desensitize people. Then the second thing they said they're going to do is this. They're going to use what they call jamming. Okay? Jamming. What that means is this is we're going to portray ourselves as helpless victims, okay? In other words, we're going to make ourselves seem so helpless and so victimized that if you speak out against it, you're going to be labeled a bigot and a homophobe. 
I'm not, I'm not talking about being hateful. I'm talking about just speaking out in love. Because let me tell you how we've been jammed in the church world, even me. And I, I didn't realize this until this guy brought this point up. Whenever I talk about homosexuality, and most preachers do, they'll start off with this. Now, let me say, before I say this, I'll, I love everybody. Now, listen, if I was home in adultery, I would never say, now, let me say, before I say this, I love all adulterers. They don't say that, right? Let me say, before I say this, I love all greedy people. Let me say that I, you understand what I'm saying? In other words, they've got to the point where you are afraid to speak up for what is right, what is in God's Word, because you don't want to be labeled someone that is full of hate speech. Then it comes not only desensitizing, jamming, but it comes conversion. In other words, they normalize the emotions, mind and will through this planned psychological attack. And you see that in even the younger generation that's coming along. Because the younger generation is saying this, the problem is not the sinner, it's the church. The problem is not the sinner, it's the church. The church is too full of hatred. And if the church had changed, then we'll be okay. If the church will lower its standards, and remember, because God is a God of love. Yes, God is a God of love, but you know what? His love causes us to call out things that are wrong. And I'm not just trying to rail on a certain group. I'm talking about everything is under attack in this world. I'm talking about the faith that is under attack in this world and so Jude says, listen, it is important for us in these days we are living in that we stand up, that we earnestly contend for the faith that has been delivered or has been handed down to us. It wasn't something that I made up. It was something that God gave us. And it is my job as a child of God, as a soldier of Jesus Christ in his army, to be a loyal soldier regardless of what the world says. If you think this world's going to get any better on the church, it's not going to do it. I'm here to tell you in these last days that we're living in, you're going to have to take a stand for Jesus because the world is not going to accept what we say half-heartedly. I don't have almost any doubt that there's going to come a time in my lifetime, 40 years old, if I preach for another 20 years, that I will have to stand behind this pulpit and whatever I say, the government will be able to say, if you say that again, we're shutting your church down. If you say that again, you're going to jail. No doubt about it. And it's going to be the same way with you at your job. We already have people now that if they stand for what's right and don't go along with the, with the crowd, then they are ostracized. They are put aside. And if you don't 
think this is a step that's going on. Church, you need to wake up. So what must we do? Let me close with this in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. And in that sermon, he deals with a variety of issues. He talks about, just for example, anger. How do you handle anger? What should you do if you're angry? He talks about offenses. He talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. He talks about how do you respond to people who've done you wrong. He talks about how we should love our enemies, bless those that persecute you. Then he talks about judging others. And let me say this, this is, that's one of the scriptures that's taken so much out of context nowadays, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Okay? The problem is with judging is simply this. Okay? I can't judge your motives. I can't judge your heart. Okay? But I can judge as a child of God, I can judge spiritual things. I can judge what's right and what's wrong. Okay? So anybody that says, well, you shouldn't judge me, I'm not, really, I'm not judging you. It's, it's the Word of God that's judging you. God's, God, this is what God's Word says. And then he says this. He concludes with all these things. I'm sure as the people are listening to this, they're shocked. They're astonished. Then he says this in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. In other words, don't just hear what I'm saying. You've got to apply it to your life. You've got to do what it says. He says this. May be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And that's where we're at today. We are seeing right now the rain coming. We're seeing right now the floods water rising. We're seeing right now the winds of adversity blowing against Christians. We're seeing that happen right now. And he says, but because that person not just heard the word, they acted on it, they applied it to their life. He said, even though the rains came, even though the floods came, even though the winds blew and slammed against that house, it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. If you want a life that's going to stand this test of time, if you want a marriage that's going to stand this test of time, if you want a family that's going to stand this test of time, you build your life on the Word of God. Because that is one thing that never will change. It never will fail. The Word of God. It never will fail. So as you're coming and playing, I just challenge you. In these last days we're living in, you need to have a correct knowledge of this. And I'm telling you this, listen, no matter what I say or anybody else says up here, you go home and you be a Berean and you study it for yourself and see if it's not in there or not. You also need to have not only correct knowledge of it, 
You better have a devoted attachment to it. We also need a desire to preserve its integrity and a willingness to communicate it to others freely and realize that we have a responsibility to do this. Do you realize as just parents, let me talk to you just for a second. When the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, what did God tell them? He said, listen, this book of the law, he said, you keep it ever before your children. Teach it to them when they lay down. Teach it to them when they rise up. Because if you'll teach it to them, they'll be able to stand the test of time. Build your life on God's word because it never changes. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Will you stand? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, in a world of bad news, you have given us the good news. And I pray as your people, God, let us be like Job that says, his words were more necessary than my food. Let us be like the Apostle Paul and stand firm to the end and not compromise to retain the standard that you've given us. Lord, I ask once again, give us a hunger for your word and by the help of the Holy Spirit, help us, Lord, to guard it and to speak it to this lost and dying world. And God, help us, Lord, not to see things through the world's lens but to see everything that's going on through the lens of the Bible because that is the standard we've been called to uphold. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, don't forget, Wednesday night, also we're going to have Sunday school in here in, in about 15 minutes. I ask you to stay. Just, I pre just maintain your safe distance. I'll be so glad when I get to dismiss this word social distance from the dictionary, but... Just keep your safe distance and have a great week in the Lord. Stay in the Word of God. God bless you.